Welcome to the Garden Culture Podcast, hosted by me, Bailey Van Tassel. I'm a self-taught gardener, busy wife and mother, and small business owner on a mission to live a garden-inspired life. Each month, we will explore what's going on in the garden and fields, as well as get to know incredible people who infuse their own lives with the magic of the garden. For more information on any techniques, recipes, or ideas mentioned here, please visit us at baileyvantassel.com slash podcast. All right, so I want to jump in. I've been following you for quite a few years on the gram, but I haven't gotten a sense yet for what your actual childhood was like before you started creating. Um, did you grow up gardening a lot, like with your parents? Was that a big part of your lifestyle? Or actually, let me back up. Why don't you share a little bit with us about who you are and what you do? My name is Kayla Lobermeyer. I started um, the, I guess it's the brand now, um, but first it was a business with my mom under a tin roof. And my mom and I started the business. Um, well, let me back up. My mom actually started the business back in 1997. Um, so it's been a long time, but she was, I would have been two at the time. Um, and she was a stay at home mom, uh, wanted, she went to school for graphic design. So was an artist and illustrator, um, and just wanted to continue doing that after she had me and the easiest way to have me at home and have her have a career was if she kind of started her own business. Um, and so she started off painting uh, used furniture, usually children's furniture. So she did a lot of, um, it was very shabby chic at the time, was very popular and lots of colorful, very colorful, um, different drawers and things. So the like one drawer would have moons on it and another one would have a different print like stripes or polka dots is very, very artistic. Um, so she did that for a long time and then eventually got into printing. So she would make designs and then reprint them onto different products. Um, so that was kind of how she got her start. And then by the time I joined in, it was 2015. I was a pregnant teen mom <laughs> at the time. And um, I was working in the food industry, just like regular restaurant jobs and I had always been creative growing up, so that was, um, I liked writing, and I wanted to start a blog, so she had said if I could help her get a website up, I could write a blog on the website, and we could kind of talk about our lifestyle, and um, so yeah, now Under a Tin Roof has been a dry goods business. It has been a farm and CSA program. It was a flower farm. Um, and currently all of that has gone away and now we just do online digital content. So we make videos, um, we sell cookbooks online. Uh, I have a cookbook coming out next year, a real live one. So that's really exciting. Oh, I saw that. Like you just announced that yesterday. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I just, yeah. So that's really exciting. Um, and we're hoping to eventually have an online platform where we can have like video classes and stuff that you can sign up for. Um, so that's our hope. hope. We're hoping by the end of the year, early next year, because um, we're building a studio kitchen on our farm. So to record in. So yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's so amazing. Oh my gosh. 
Well, if you need tips on that model, that's been a learning curve for me for sure. But with the Kindergarten Society, um, the monthly gardening subscriptions on its own website has video capabilities. It's like its own thing. I know you're on Patreon right now, which is a similar setup. Are you liking that? I did. I actually, I had that um, paused right now because I had a baby three months ago and it's been a lot. Thanks. <laughs> it's been a lot to juggle. So, but yeah, I do like it. Um, it's interesting. I am struggling to figure out what the heck to post on it because it's, I want to have my free content and then what do you do that's paid and how do you balance that? So that's kind of where I'm at in my mental <laughs> yes, my mental headspace for that is confusing. <laughs> yeah, I totally understand that. It's been super beautiful to see your story evolve. And it's so funny. I still see, and it's not from your account, but images from the original farm, or I guess like the CSA with the greenhouse, maybe. Um, you know what I mean? Uh, it's sort of this cottage core meets farming inspo image that I feel like everybody loves. Um but yeah, so back to what I was saying, did you grow up gardening or on a farm or did that kind of come later when you and your mom started really sharing? Uh, I did not grow up. Absolutely not on a farm, far away from farming. Um, my grandma always gardened um, when my mom was a child. So she was um, used to that. But by the time I came around and my mom, you know, was married and had her own adult life away from that um we i guess we would grow like a tomato plant in the backyard but we weren't it wasn't something we were really interested in um at the time but i grew up in the really far south suburbs of chicago kind of near um, the joliet illinois area oh my gosh that's where my and husband's from joliet no yeah way. like shorewood area so i was Oh, okay. Well, I'm actually from Morris. So I always say Joliet because it's most people know where that is and nobody knows where Morris is. That's so funny. Yeah. It's great to be known for being from a town that's um, known for its prison. <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, right. <laughs> oh, well, that's really cool. So when did you really start getting into this lifestyle then? Because I feel like you're very, I mean, you're genuinely living a very simple sort of historical way of living, you know, growing your own food, raising your own meat, processing it, preserving it, all the things. Yeah. So we're a little crazy. We've only been doing this for seven, eight-ish years. Um, my son just turned seven in April and I started researching all of this before he was born, but while I was pregnant with him. So um, that's kind of when that started. And we were living in Texas. I moved back home with my parents. Um, so this was right before I was going to start college. Uh, found out that I was pregnant and ended up being on my own. So moved back home with my parents. And then um, we moved to Iowa shortly after my son was born. So he was about a month old. And during the pregnancy, I became really interested in like, how can I eat better to grow this baby? I wanted to be that just seemed really intriguing to me. How can I be like super healthy and eat really well? And what I started learning was it was better to eat whole foods, whole ingredient foods. Um, and I just kind of started teaching myself how to cook at that point. So I've been doing that, you know, over seven years now. Um, 
we're getting close to a decade. It's kind of fun. <laughs> uh, yeah. So that's when that started. And then when we moved to Iowa, we had family from here. So that was how we kind of knew about the area. So it's this really rural town. Um, the town we currently live in is under a thousand people, but we live out in the country. So we're not actually in town. So we are na- our closest neighbors are, you know, a good half mile away. Um, so that's really fun. And when we moved here, we noticed that everybody had gardens in their yard. Very rural community. Um, half the population of the town is Amish and a heavily Mennonite community. So very into the simple living, having a vegetable garden in the yard, having chickens. Um, and that became intriguing to us. And we, at, when we first moved here, we thought it was really cute. Like, oh, that's fun. Didn't really think we would do it. And then... I think the thing that really inspired me, which I always come back to, is this documentary called Sustainable. And it was on Netflix at the time. But I loved it because it followed this farmer in rural Illinois and it followed him by the seasons. And he just kind of introduced to what was new to us a lifestyle of living sustainably on a farm and living by the seasons, growing your own food and processing it. And then he would sell the food to restaurants in the city. Um, and just, yeah, it was a small scale thing. And we were, and really kind of introduced us to um, regenerative agriculture, um, all those things that we are really interested in sharing ourselves now, but we didn't have any idea what that was. And we didn't realize um, how detrimental to the environment that some of the things that we were eating, some of the things we were purchasing were. So that opened, and then that opened the gateway, you know, to zero waste living and historical things um, that I'm inspired by now. But all of those, all of the historical side of it, at least, are things that I've always been interested in, even as a kid. I loved that aesthetic. I love old things. I love um, traveling to historical places. And so for me, that part has always been there. So it just kind of ties all together, I guess. Yeah, I think that's beautiful. I've not seen the sustainable documentary, but actually just jotted that down because I really want to. Yeah, it's really good. Oh, I'm so excited. Um, (laughs) I think it's so funny. I mean, you're definitely not the first person and I'm actually maybe a part of a ton of people who I feel like as mothers, your children inspire these changes and it's just for the better of the whole. Like it becomes so much better for you as a mom and for everyone you sort of, this is when I think the internet wins. (laughs) It's like when you're sharing information about sustainability and simplicity, I'm intrigued by this zero waste living situation. Is this still happening in your life? I have to know more. (laughs) I try the best that I can. (laughs) That's the simple answer. Um, When I first learned about it, I feel like when I first learned about anything, I tried to be super strict with myself about it. And you go to the extreme, right? You're like, plastic is bad. I'm going to cut out all plastic from my life. And I just don't want any of it. And then you start to try to figure out how am I going to do this and reality hits. Um, And mostly the reality of that is the cost 
of living a waste-free life is way more expensive, which is so ironic to me than living one with, we'll just take plastic for example, living a plastic-free life is way, way, way more expensive than living one with plastic in it. So we did live in an extreme way. And then I feel like we've kind of reverted back into old habits for some things, some things we have kept on. This has been more, you know, economical for our family and also better for the environment. And then some things it's like this just I can't find a better solution for it. So I guess in all things that we do, and I get that question a lot online is I'm not a purist. I'm not going to try to be like, I'm, I only am strict on doing this and nobody can match up to my level. I'm just doing the best that I can. So yeah, I still use plastic wrap. Do I love it? No. Do I really want to use it? No, but I can't find a better solution for that. For some things like preserving our food in some ways, you know, so Yeah. Well, I think sometimes, you know, I was thinking about this when it comes to medicine, like how far our society has regressed when it comes to health, but also progressed when it comes to modern medicine in some ways. In some ways, like if your appendix burst, we can save your life. (laughs) You know, if you're in outlander days, you would be totally RIP, like resting in peace somewhere. They couldn't save you. So I think there's this beautiful balance in that. And because sort of similar to you, and especially the more you go down the rabbit hole of simple living, sustainability, even the regenerative movement, it can be really hard. I think there's a psychological component for all people. It can be hard to feel like the small changes you're making are enough because you're like, oh my gosh, now I know more. I need to do better. But there's some things, you know, I think as our society has advanced that we have to sort of move forward with and adapt to. But my question is, I guess, what do you feel like you've really adopted that's improved your lives that maybe 10 years ago you never would have known about? Yeah, zero waste. Uh, We use a lot of glass. So uh, we try to buy a lot of our food in bulk, which is also difficult to not get plastic containers. And one of the things, gosh, my husband and I were just making fun of this the other day about, um, I don't really buy bread from the store anymore. I make it myself and I've been doing that for years and years. So it's just a habit now. Um, but (laughs) we were, at the good old Costco and we're like, let's buy a plastic bag of bread and put it in a plastic bag to take home. You know, you got to stuff both loaves in a big plastic bag and then we'll put it in a plastic bag to carry to our car. Like we just, let's do the triple bag it because we'll make sure it's real fresh. Um, So (laughs) we try to buy in bulk as much as possible. And that has been a habit that we've kept on since the very beginning. Um, And then we store a lot of our dry goods, uh, dry food, I guess, in, um, in glass jars. So usually like canning jars or different containers. Um, And that's been really great. Do you have a favorite source for your bulk products? Um, I don't have one online. I buy, there's a little local shop that I go to here in town, but I've heard that Azure standard, I guess a lot of people like, but I have never tried it personally. So I don't, I don't really know. (laughs) 
No, I think that's great. I was just having a debate with my own husband about the amount and I am, I wouldn't even consider myself a homesteader, honestly. Like we're doing the best that we can, but he's like the jars, you're going to be buried like in a whisker, in a wicker basket with glass jars. I'm like, it's better. They're useful. I use them, you know? Yeah, no, I totally feel you. I mean, I have, um, and I'm an ambassador for ball canning, so that doesn't help because I get sent jars to share that online. Um, but we already, I mean, we already were using ball jars like crazy. And then we had our flower farm business. So we used those as vases to sell. So I think we've easily got over a thousand ball jars in our home. So I will definitely plug that because I use those every single day of my life. That's what I drink everything out of. Um, those are our drinking glasses at home. So, (laughs) um, but yeah, they're great. (laughs) I love that. Okay. Before I jump into the flower farm that you just mentioned, I want to ask about your bread baking. Okay. And this is, I think, you know, bread is having a moment. Sourdough has had its 15 minutes, which is turning into 30 minutes of fame because of originally (laughs) the pandemic, but Anyone that's a big sourdough baker is in love for good reason. I go in stints with it. Usually in the summer, I don't bake it too hot in the house, baking bread, you know, the 48 hour routine. Like I just haven't hacked a system for it. But what's your bread baking routine? I'm actually just so curious, like for your family, how often are you baking bread? Do you bake multiple loaves? Like talk us through it. Um, so we have an interesting family dynamic to begin with. Um, most people do not have four adults living in their home. Um, so I still live at home. Um, well, my husband and I moved back in actually with my parents and then we have three kids. Um, one of those three kids though, doesn't eat anything yet. (laughs) She's too small. So I wouldn't count her in there. So four adults, two kids. Um, so we go through a lot of bread. So I would say I probably bake twice a week. Um, and that if I'm doing a quick bread, so not sourdough, which is usually a lot easier. So I would consider an, um, a quick bread to be about a three hour process, which when you think about it, Um, you're really not working that entire three hours. It's just a lot of like hurry up and wait for bread. (laughs) Um, and that makes it a little bit easier. So in amongst the other tasks, the multitask of adding the bread in there is kind of how that works. So, um, you know, get it started. I have a bread recipe on my website that I love. It's great for beginners, um, because every single rise takes only 30 minutes. So you're not waiting a full hour in between. So the entire process takes two hours, you know, half hour to let it rise two half hour or two, sorry, a half hour to mix it up two half hour rises and then a half hour bake. So it's really, really quick. Um, and then you can double it or triple it or whatever you need to do, um, to have multiple loaves. So that's awesome. And then I will do a lot of recipes where I get two loaves at once. So then I'll have the four loaves a week And we'll go through that for every single meal. Um, So we eat a lot of bread at our house. (laughs) Yeah. 
Yeah, my husband demands bread with every meal. So I think it's an Illinois thing happening. It's a Midwest thing for sure. Oh, you know, he's always like, where are the rolls? Uh, And I grew up in California. So I'm like, what are you talking about? We don't eat rolls with everything. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, you do. Garlic bread. (laughs) I know. I've been conditioned and now I'm turning into that person that's like, where's the garlic bread? So I think that, though, how insanely and beautiful it is that you live multi-generational. I truly believe that's how we were meant to raise children and live our best lives, especially as mothers. So I'm actually envious of your dynamic. I think that's amazing. It was really amazing. It just kind of fell into our laps um, because when I met my husband, my oldest son was three years old. Oh, I love it. And I'm living with my parents still doing this as for my income source, which was very little. And so when we met, I was kind of already here. And at that time, he, you know, he was living on his own as a single bachelor. Um, and by the time we got engaged, you know, obviously we're a very progressive family. So it was like, well, why? And his lease was going to come up. So it was like, well, why don't you just move in here instead of getting a new apartment? We're going to get married anyway. And, um, so yeah, and the family dynamic just ended up working out. We all get along really well. My parents have always been more like friends to me than anything. Um, I'm really close with my mom. So obviously we were running this business together for almost a decade. So that has been going on and um, it's been really great. I mean, we don't, none of us hardly ever quarrel at all. So that's really nice. We've always said if we got a reality show, we'd be really boring. <laughs> just be like... How are you today? I'm good. Okay. Well, go on. Keep enjoy your day. Um, so there, there's that. But um, yeah, so the multi-generational living that happened now was we moved away for uh almost two years, um, had our, our second baby or and um at that time, oh my gosh, we could get really deep into this, but we thought we were going to open up a restaurant on the farm. <laughs> so this was your stint in the city. You moved into the city? No, no, no. Okay, no, no. Just, just town. Just in town. Yes. So just back into neighborhood, typical rural neighborhood, um, and thought maybe this will be better. Maybe we'll like, you know, this better for the kids. We can walk to school. We have access to you know the little local shops and everything and we won't have to drive a half hour every time to go get the goods that we want and it honestly it felt like a month after we moved in we were like we hate this this (laughs) we miss living in the country so then it was you know hunting 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 for country land um property and then we thought we would do this restaurant thing Um, first we thought we'd do a food truck and then it turned into the restaurant supper club and my parents, as we were, you know, trying to figure out how are we going to invest in this? How are we going to have, you know, our big, this house that we just bought and do this business. And, um, my parents were just kind of like, why don't you guys just move back in and we do the restaurant here on the farm? Um, we already had, you know, a building to possibly transform into that. Um, And we figured, you know, we're going to, it would save us a lot of money. It would help with the kids. I quickly found out like a month after that was suggested that I was having a third baby. So I was like, okay, this sounds really good. Um, 
And yeah, I mean, obviously business plans changed. The restaurant thing didn't work out. Um, And not for any reason. We just kind of decided maybe we don't want to do this and put a whole second septic tank in and uh, build a restaurant, you know, all that fun stuff is just like, this is a little bit crazy. So um, moved on from that. But yeah, multi-generational living is fantastic. I highly recommend it. Obviously, everybody has to have a good relationship and get along. Um, And, you know, one of the questions I get a lot is how do you even make that work? And everybody has to have a job, I think, is the best way to do that. And same for running a family business. We all have to kind of have our specified jobs so that nobody's kind of stepping on toes or stepping over into um, stepping over into a role. And then, you know, we also can come in and be like, Hey, I need a break from this. Can you come in and how, you know, you take over and vice versa. So that we work really well with that. Um, so I guess the best advice would be communicate with each other. (laughs) Um, communication, a lot of communication and, um, the cost of living is fantastic especially with everything that's happening right now in our country um my gosh I can't believe if we were living separately right now it would be insane um so yeah that's great everybody can help work the farm and I do agree with you that the whole it takes a village to raise a child I don't really think that that phrase communicates into our modern lifestyle anymore And I can see where the phrase came from now, living back at home with these three kids. I can't imagine doing it without everybody here. It is really, 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 really nice. And I'm very thankful. Yeah, that's amazing. That's amazing. So I want to ask, to get more into the business side of things, you guys had, when you moved back to the farm with your mom, you guys had a CSA program, a community shared agriculture program. I think you maybe had like 60 people that you were feeding from the farm, including yourselves. And then I know you guys sort of abandoned that. So is that when you shifted into flower farm model? Yes. So all of kind of all of what we just talked about um, blends into the the growth away from the CSA. So the CSA started after we um, started our garden and kind of realized that we really liked it and we were, we were decent at it. Um, and one of my friends who grew, um, not grew, who raised gap certified pork and pastured chickens was like, you should start a CSA program because we had so much excess veggies that we were giving it away to people. And she's like, and then we could team up and we could sell the meat that they raised. It was a really great partnership for a couple of years. Um, we had a lot of fun doing that. And then by the time I would I got married was the last year that we did it and it wasn't because I got married it was we realized as we were you know peddling all of our stuff to the farmers market we were also simultaneously growing a small little patch of flowers and flower market price is really really high compared to a vegetable market price and people would pass by this organic grown tomato for a dollar but they would spend $16 on 10 flowers. So we were kind of like, maybe we're doing this wrong and tried to work a little bit smarter, not harder. And flowers are a lot easier to grow. You know, you can just keep 
cut, 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 and they come and grow back. Tomatoes are not as easy to grow. It's a lot of... I literally hate growing tomatoes. You know, yeah, the process isn't fun, but the reward is very good. I do really enjoy when they're here. So, so yeah, then we transitioned to flowers. And at that time, I had moved away. I had a new baby. And mom was like, well, maybe I'll just take it over. I can do it myself. Um, Yeah, and then uh, she took over that. So... Yeah, that's where that left off. She started kind of taking her things to the farmer's market and started the flower farm. Is that still happening now? No. So that lasted another couple of years. And then actually this past spring when we moved back. um, So we moved back into the farm this past winter. And we were about, you know, we set up to do the flower farm. And I have been... um, I kind of transitioned fully away from retail and mostly make my income making doing content creation. And it was kind of like, are we being dumb about this? Should I just hire mom on under my business and we make this income together because it just completely blew any retail um, business that we had had out of the water. It's just, it's really crazy. So we kind of just decided maybe we just use this property to create content instead of trying so hard to push and pedal and, you know, do this backbreaking work for pennies, basically. So, so no. Yeah. I think, (laughs) yeah. First of all, I think a true entrepreneur is someone who knows how and when to pivot I believe y'all's mission has never really changed. It's just been the method. And I think that is a sign of progress and awareness. You just always have to be iterating and adjusting, but I think it needs to be said for the world. And it's it's just such hard work, like the CSA component for sure. Um, and then, I mean, it's not just the fact that you're basically a farmer now, so you're collaborating with mother nature and like the spirits that be. And then your knowledge and just, there are years when crops fail or they're hard or whatever, the soil, this and that. So many things out of your control. So there's that component that any gardener listening would understand. Mm -hmm. But (laughs) layered on top of that then is the business side of it, which is the marketing and the selling and the putting it into the boxes and getting the people there and tracking who's picking it up and are they paying? And I don't know. I think it's crazy hard work and using two different parts of your brain, two different skill sets, a lot of physical work. And then even with the flower farm, I mean, I think that's very cool right now. Like everyone wants to be Aaron from Florit, but it's crazy hard work. And uh, I don't know. I don't think many people understand the reality of being outside every day, working in the elements, trying to really grow a physical product and then sell it. It's just, it's just crazy hard work. It is. And I think it goes hand in hand with the um, theory of the American dream where you're like, I really enjoy doing, I enjoy gardening for fun. I'm going to try to turn this into a business. And then you just squash the heck out of it until you absolutely hate it and just can't, can't take it anymore. Um, But I don't want to downsize CSAs because I think they're amazing. And I think the concept or the business structure or I guess I should say business model of them is wonderful. 
um, you get that income at the beginning of the year to kind of pay for all of your costs up front. So that's really nice. And then you do get that community relationship with people. Um, so a lot, there are pros and cons as there is with everything. I mean, the pro of having the community also is the con of like, they didn't show up today. Then they're going to say, can I come tomorrow? Like, I don't. Okay. So now your schedule is all messed up. And yeah, there's, there are definitely little issues like that. Um, the one word I would use to describe like CSA or market gardening work is wet. (laughs) It's just, you're just wet all the time, whether it's sweat or you're like washing and bagging veggies or watering the garden or it's raining or it's just, it's a mess. So (laughs) yeah. Oh my gosh. How true is that? I think it's brilliant. It's amazing. It's been super fun to watch your journey and transformation. And like I said, also see you stay true to the mission and the values that you have, bringing everyone alongside the journey to be in that with you and to learn with you just experience in different ways. Okay, real quick. I want to tell you about the Kitchen Garden Society. It's my monthly gardening club for all levels of gardener and in all U.S. hardiness zones. We're helping gardeners everywhere save time, maximize your yield, and build your true instincts. Each month in the Kitchen Garden Society, you get a to-do list of what to be harvesting, sowing, and transplanting, as well as what you should tend and task to. You get seasonal recipes and deep dive timely lessons to accompany the skills you're going to need in the garden this time of year. You hear from experts each month and get daily inspiration for seasonal living, as well as the opportunity to share and ask questions in our members-only Facebook group. I hope you'll visit us at the Kitchen Garden Society dot com and check it out. Um, and I want to talk a second about cooking and food, but before that, these past I think seven years you said of gardening and farming, what do you still enjoy growing, and what will you never grow again? <laughs> um, I still enjoy, you know, um, probably your basic American vegetable staples. Um, tomatoes, green beans, potatoes, cucumbers, anything that I can preserve is mostly what I enjoy growing at this stage in the game. Um, I did grow, you know, a few like root crops and greens this year. And I just, we don't use those as much in terms of, um, preservation. So that's mostly, I think what my garden has turned into, over this many years is what, how can I utilize, get the most out of all of these plants, um, to preserve for overwintering so that we don't have to go buy anything. Um, a lot of those fresh, like greens, things like those, um, we don't, don't, you just, you can only utilize that for so long. So, but some people really enjoy growing that. So I would probably say I'm on the end of um, I don't really enjoy growing greens as much anymore. I did when we did the market garden because it was a huge accomplishment to figure out how to get greens that don't have like little bug holes in them, um, that sort of thing. So, (laughs) um, And I probably don't love growing zucchini because I never know what to do with all of it. (laughs) It just keeps coming. So you're kind of battling against that. (laughs) Yeah. Are there any tips that you just swear by in the garden that are tried and true? Probably companion planting. 
planting, adding in herbs and flowers and mixing those in. Um, if you want that really picturesque Beatrix Potter garden, the best way to do that is to just intermix all of your different plants together. Um, I think that creates a really romantic, beautiful garden to look at visually. And then it also creates this insect habitat where you're not really having to fight against nature to have have everything work out. That's what I have noticed. I we don't really spray or do manage anything at all. Um and not at first it was because it was like we want to only be organic. Now it's more or less like I just don't want to even have to think about doing it and we don't. So um I honestly if I have like a pest come in and attack a plant, I usually kind of just let them have it or remove that plant. And then I don't really see too many issues. I just kind of let nature work itself out. So that's been kind of interesting to learn over the years. For sure. I was just, I've been learning that myself. And a great example is with kale. So I do grow greens primarily because I can grow them year round. So I don't have to preserve them because of the zone that I'm in. I can grow some greens all the time. So it's super satisfying because at least I know I can like always grow a salad. But I've noticed like with kale, we'll get either cabbage loopers or aphids really bad. And in this past season, the white cabbage moth loopers totally attacked the kale and I just cut everything back. And it actually regrew and now there are no issues. It just sort of managed itself and it's been really beautiful to see. I never sprayed anything. I hand pick any critters off that I can find or outsource that job to the kids. But it's like, oh my gosh, they bounce back. The kale's better than ever. I'm not playing with any pest issues now. And it was really cool to just see that happen. Yeah, I think that's awesome. Well, and you're in California too, right? So that kind of helps. I mean, our season is so short here. Um, so we, you know, you don't always get the option to have it regrow like that, but when you do, man, it's, it's awesome. Um, I had that tip got, so I took, um, master gardener courses years ago and one of the women there gave me the tip or at least made me realize that with broccoli, it's the same thing. Um, cause you're kind of always instructed to, in at least in text on gardening to start broccoli for spring and then start a new set for fall. She's like, you can just cut it back and it'll just keep, it won't, you won't have that big head of broccoli, but you'll just keep getting florets growing off of it. So instead of planting a new one for fall, just use the same one that you already planted. So that is really cool. Yeah. I've had a lot of questions on that too. Um, Like is broccoli cut and come again? And I guess my answer is typically like kind of, yeah, <laughs> You know, you're not going to get, like you said, you're not going to get another giant like broccoli head, but you'll get the florets, which I think, I think one of the most beautiful things about gardening is you begin to realize how little maybe you actually personally need for one single serving and how satisfying that can be. I don't know, like one cherry tomato plant just for me is more than enough for a season. If I'm just talking about salads and I'm not making marinara or preserving, but just for my daily tomato consumption, Omelet, salad, sauces, whatever. Yeah. Um, no, I completely agree. I think um, a lot of people get overwhelmed too with trying to figure out how much do I need to plant to feed my family for the whole year. And it's so difficult to 
teach somebody that you almost just have to get in there and and try it and figure it out for yourself I think um especially you know everybody eats differently so that is always a difficult question to answer (laughs) right and I think that kind of goes back to people lacking some awareness on how much they actually eat and of what they consume when you start thinking about eating seasonally and what's actually supposed to be available with the most sustainable option for food, really getting into eating seasonally, your awareness shifts in terms of, oh, I'm not supposed to have tomatoes year-round or broccoli year-round. And then you know how we eat and how does that shift throughout the seasons. Yeah, definitely. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming and sharing your story with us. It's just super awesome to see how you've evolved and the changes that you've made. And I'm really excited for this new baby and this new chapter for you guys. I'm excited to hear more about the book. So yeah, when does the book launch and where can people find you? Um, So the book comes out June 2023 um, and that will be sold, found wherever books are sold. So mostly it sounds like Amazon is going to be the big spot, um, Barnes and Noble, you know, anywhere like that. So that will be exciting. And you can find me on underachinroof.com. Amazing. Well, enjoy the rest of your day and thank you again. Yeah. Yeah. You too. Thanks for having me. I hope this episode has been balm for the soul and inspiration for the heart. I would love if you left a review to let me know your thoughts or anything you're interested in learning. And I'm so grateful that you found this space. For more information on any techniques, recipes, or ideas mentioned, visit us at baileyvantassel.com slash podcast.